continuing in First John, uh, John chapter 2. But let me just read a couple of verses from the psalmist, Psalm 62. In God alone is, sorry, in God alone is my soul at rest. God is the source of my hope. In God I find shelter, my rock and my safety. Men are but a puff of wind. Men who think themselves important are a delusion. Put them on the scale, they are gone in a puff of wind. Now this is less about man and more about God. How he wants for us and longs for us as his children to be at rest in him. Our hope to be in him, our security. And um, I want to talk this morning about losing your moorings. Drifting away from your moorings. Kind of a nautical, slightly nautical expression. But it happens often. Because we're on this journey, this journey of the lifetime, as we like to say. But it's a journey towards the Father. It's a journey towards God. In the likeness of his Son, who's revealed to us the nature of the Father. It's why Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. To reveal the nature of God the Father and also to make it possible by breaking the power, the yoke of the enemy over this world and over your life. And he came to proclaim, as we've been hearing this weekend, about a kingdom, about a, an authority that he carries to do this and power in order that we would be able to rest in the knowledge that we are accepted, the beloved children of God. And it's incumbent upon us to live in the valley, to live as a part of this community out of that reality and not allow, and this happens so easily, anything to take us from the, this likeness, this security, this intimacy, this sense of being at rest in him. So what does John tell us about what can pull us away? First, the first drift comes through the very world in which we live, the world and its desires. Do not love the world or anything in it. That's pretty stark, isn't it? This is not, do not love the people of the world, for God so loved the world, the same writer said that he sent his son. But there is something about the world system, culture, values, that are in opposition to what God is doing. In fact, James would say to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. It is that stark. We're reminded that we're in the world, we live in the world, it's like we're down in the valley, but we're not of it. We're of the mountaintop, we're of God. And John will use these contrasts of light and darkness, aware that men love the darkness because their deeds are evil. You might think that's not you, that's not in you, but it, the potential is in all of us. He'll say later that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And he, he paints this rather stark picture. You either belong to the Father in heaven or you belong to your father, the devil. That's quite stark. 
And because we're in this world, we can be so easily enticed by its desires, its longings. Yes, because of the cross and because of our faith in him and because of our receiving the gift of salvation and the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of sin is broken such that we have a choice not to be enticed, but we can still be enticed. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is what the love of the world is all about. The lust of the flesh, when he uses the word lust, this is not just sexual lust, that's a part of it. Lust simply means desire, longings. The longings of the flesh. And you know, God has put into our flesh desires to be used appropriately. The desire for food. That's not a bad thing, but taken to excess where it controls us, it is a bad thing. Actually, the desire for sex, it's, it's God's idea, it's God's gift. But outside of his ways, becomes highly destructive. The desire for, in a way, happiness and joy and enjoyment of things, these are God-given, but have to have their right order and place. So there's a way of enjoying the good things God gives, but there's a way in which the desire for those things can overtake us to the point of robbing us of our security in Him. One of the things in our house is, um, I've just got a sweet tooth, we both have. We were chatting last night with a couple and <laughs> um, if I don't know things are in the house, that is a good thing. But once I get a sniff of the reality that there are things in the house that are sweet, even though Carol hides them from me and doesn't tell me where they are, and she moves them around to keep me on my toes. Once I know, I'm in trouble. Anyone else like that? Does that resonate? <laughs> What's the best thing? Get them out the house. If I've got to get in the car, drive down the road, go into a store, pay money, I'm less likely to do it. But the desire is there. And the potential for excess. The lust of the eyes. This simply means, in a sense, it's kind of a Hebrewism, it means greed. It goes all the way back to Genesis, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes. This is how the enemy and the world sucks us away. Things are pleasant, they look attractive. We desire to have them. And the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took and ate. We take and we eat, we see it. We just watched a rather scary documentary uh, called The Social Dilemma. Anyone else seen that? Watch it. It's on Netflix. And it's really about the whole social media platform, which started with some good intent to help connect people. And it has started to consume people and destroy lives. But the basis thesis behind all of it is to attract with the eyes by putting things before people to keep them on the platform, connected to the app, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, fill in the blanks. 
And always there's the trickle of things into that feed that would cause you to want to have, to want to buy. And it works because we all of us can yield to the lust of the eyes. It's in us all. But we've got to know it's given too much power, it can destroy us. And sadly, that's happening. And it's, it's like the, the beast is out of the bag and we can't change it. But we know someone who can. The pride of life. This is about ambition. This is about the desire to get on and prove myself better than you. Better than others. Having more than others. Making it in life. Demonstrating the world that how good I am and worthy I am. And many dedicate the whole of their lives to that end. You might have heard me say of the man who incredibly successful in his career. But at the end of his working life, he says, as I look back, and behind was a trail of broken relationships, families. He said, I climbed the ladder of success, but I realized it was leaning against the wrong wall. This is the pride of life. They may be passing away, but they have real energy to consumers, John would say. And very often they flow out of our sense of inner turmoil and struggle, even our own pain, our fears, our anger, the very things on Sunday nights we're exploring as to how the God, God leads us and provides freedom for us in relationship and in his, free, in his love for us. Jesus says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. And here's the promise, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. This is why Jesus is our hope, our life, the object of our worship the provider of all things, our satisfaction and our delight, or at least he wants us to be. To work for food that endures is to, it comes out of that passage in John 6 where he's talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood and it's kind of bizarre and strange language, but it's him, it's relationship with him, it's his words, it's his teaching, it's a longing. I found my spirit so stirred this weekend just because we've been hearing the teaching of Jesus. Does the word of God stir you? It's a source of light and a source of life, but the world will rob you of an appetite for it. And it frightens me how often so much of you know, what comes from the world through the TV and other sources can take so much of my time and attention. And I seem I've got so much energy for that, but does the word of God hold me in the same way? Does connection with him, a love for the sun. So that takes us into our second. We can drift through the world and its desires, which though Christ has broken the power, it's still in your members. It's still a part of you. You have to do battle against that through the forces and life that God gives through the Spirit. 
But then we've got to beware of the drift through denying the Son. No one here would say, well, I, I would never deny Christ. Well, I wonder. Now, in this community, this was happening because false teachers were beginning to infiltrate and teach a slightly different gospel and to deny the fact that Jesus, God, really did come in the flesh as a man, but also fully God, the two combined, and that he is the one who has all authority. And they were pulling people out of the, the Christ-following community back into other avenues. Away from allegiance to Christ and to his teachings. This is essentially what the Antichrist is. It's not just a certain person who's going to lead the world away. It's that spirit that has the potential to rob us too of our moorings in God and our peace in him. When we deny Christ and his word and his lordship over our lives. I'm not just talking about believing, I'm talking about following. And there's, there's this little situation that John's trying to deal with because people are leaving the community. One of the hardest things as a pastor is to see people leave the church. Badly. There's a way of leaving good, or well, rather. Need an adverb in there. And there's a way of leaving badly. And many do it badly. And it breaks your heart when you're a pastor. Well, it breaks the heart of the community. When people leave without a by your leave, without saying a word. How can you do that if we belong to one another? Now, people here were rejecting Christ, and John makes the point that if you belong to Christ, you by definition belong to one another. So where can you go? Where else is there? There's no other salvation anywhere. There was only one church then. There wasn't denominations and multiple buildings and communities. But this sense of pulling away relationally. How can you pull away from the very body of which you are a part and from which you derive your life through Christ who is the head? This is John's point. But it's based upon this understanding that to belong to Christ means that we persevere in relationship and community with one another because God is working out his purposes. And yes, there's a time that I may move on because God calls me to something. But he rarely calls us just away from something. He calls us to something. And if he does that, others will recognize it and release it for you. But we don't see ourselves as belonging to one another, necessarily, in the sense of how Christ sees us. Because we're individuals. We make up our own minds. We make our own choices. We are in control. And at that, we've denied Christ. It's so subtle and it's so easy because it's the most scary thing in the world to submit yourselves to people who are imperfect. And yet, that's the very thing that characterizes the body of Christ. Be filled with the, submit, with the Spirit, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because you belong to one another. 
I've even had people say to me, well, I didn't want to say anything to you because I didn't want to upset you. And I look at them and I say, do you think it's not upsetting to suddenly disappear without saying a word when we seek to pour our hearts to one another? So we're called to stay and endure and work through things. We're called to recognize that before the cross, this is level ground. We're all here by grace through the mercy of God. None of us is better than any other because it's not about merit and qualifying for something. It's all we're the recipients of grace. It's a free gift. And God has rescued us and put us in his body and graced us with his spirit and given his gifts for the sake of the body. Thanks be to God. But it's exercised under the Lordship of Christ, who is the head. He's the source of our life. But he, but he ministers that life through the body, through our connection one to another. And this is why the failure to love in this way is, for John, this is the cardinal rule. You've broken the biggest rule. There's only one rule. Love one another. And you've broken it. And so he says, well, they clearly never belong to us. The gift of belonging to the Father and the Son is both a wondrous gift, but it's a great responsibility. We bear his name. We're ambassadors of his kingdom and of his life and of his love. And they both go together. You don't get to the Father without the Son. You don't, you don't get the Son without the Father. It's a job lot. Because it's about a life of community. It's about a life of love. In fact, our community is only a continuation and reflection of his community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And a comment that was made this weekend was that servant love is the only way of being human. When we love deeply and serve others, we give our life away. This is what it means to be truly human. And how do we know that? Jesus. He came not as one to be served, but to serve and to give his life. He's both our savior and our example, our brother and our Lord. And so our vision is to grow in love the Jesus way. It's not my way, it's not your way. It's certainly not the world's way. It's Jesus's way. Because he is our life and he is truth. And it's like John is saying, it's in you. You know this. I'm not trying to tell you something you don't know. Just walk in it. Live out of this reality. You know, conflict is hard, isn't it? Who loves a good bit of conflict? Who loves to just get in there and humble yourself and own your pain, own your mistakes, acknowledge it, and wait? Why don't we like that? We don't like that because of the world, because of the flesh, because of the desires that are in you. Because that is exactly what the archetypal human, the, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, did upon the cross. He took it all. And he calls us to the way of the cross. This is the way of love. It's the way of the cross. It's the way of struggle. 
It's the way of confrontation with evil in ourselves, as well as in the world and the devil. So we work it out together. We resolve, we don't manage conflict, we resolve it. We forgive and we extend grace and we lead the pack, or it should, at least we should do. Our unity in Christ makes room for difference. One of the problems of the world is that there's no room for difference. If you see things differently, believe differently, vote differently, then I have no part of you and you have no part of me. In fact, you're my enemy. And Jesus said, it must not be like that among you. You're my body. Like Paul says, one says, I follow Paul. One says, I follow Apollos. We love personalities. Nobody says, I follow Christ. The body of Christ isn't like this. Why? Because of him. All things are in him. And we together. Right relatedness is a word that our speaker this weekend was using in the place of righteousness. Because that's what it means. Our right related, our willingness to, to protect above all things the relationship, even when we think and believe differently, we even live differently. We still belong to one another because it's gift. If you didn't earn it by your belief and behavior, in terms of getting it exactly right, then you only stay in it on the same basis. We'll spend a lot of time here. Membership. Who likes membership? Who doesn't like membership? Who wants to be a member? Who thinks, well, I don't know, that's not for me. Why is that not for you? Well, it's not in the scriptures. Is Zoom in the scriptures? I know membership's not in the scriptures, other than the fact that we are members of one another. We are, we are the members of the body. We belong in that sense. Membership is an opportunity to express your commitment. And I think it's a, it's, it's a wonderful thing in that sense. It's to say, no, I belong to these people. I'm committed. I'm going to choose to work this out. And I'm not going to sit on the, the back row, see how things go and decide whether or not hang with these people. That's the way of the world. That's not the way of Christ. There's a, there's a journey for me to get to that point? Absolutely. But are you moving towards that point? I've had people say to me, yeah. well, I don't want to be a member because I don't want to get involved in the politics. What does that mean? Are you not concerned for this body of which you are a part and how it functions? You should be. It's like voting. If you don't give yourself to the electoral process, you lose it. Others will take over. And we've got to be in the place where we wrestle with our differences lovingly, hearing more than speaking, being willing to change our thinking because that's obedience to Christ, repentance. It's what makes life together possible. Anyway, better move on. So, drift through the world and his desires, drift through denying the Son and his ways. And thirdly, drift through neglecting the anointing. The anointing. John appeals 
in the place of false teaching, not to, hey, you've got one of the apostles among you. I have absolute authority in this place. I was with Jesus. That's when he started. We saw him, we touched him. Our fellowship is with him. But he doesn't appeal to that. That's amazing, isn't it? What does he appeal to? He appeals to the fact that you believers have been anointed with the Holy Spirit of truth. That is our hope in Christ with the Father. Just allow that to settle on us. It's like God has been smeared all over you. Poured from head to toe. You're his. Not only do you belong to him, but you are in him and he is in you. You carry about with if the spirit is in you, you carry about with you the creator of all things. He who is truth. That's why Jesus calls him the spirit of truth. He'll lead you into truth. Don't rely upon human teachers as good as they are. After all, John's teaching them as he's writing this letter. But rely upon the spirit of truth within you. Who will always exalt Christ and his ways to bring us to the Father. Because that's how the Trinity operates. That's how we are supposed to operate. You've got to learn to walk in the anointing. Anyone have the anointing here? Okay. We're going to have a prayer time afterwards for those who don't think you have the anointing to get it. Seriously. There is nothing more important than this. We're looking at this in week. When Paul comes across anyone who's not sure or doesn't believe they have the anointing, the presence of the Spirit, experience reality, tangible difference. We know because we know because we know. We live differently. We love differently. He said he wants to fix it, receive it. Our future, the mission and ministry of this church is utterly contingent upon the anointing. Now that's not to say we're not continuing to depend upon Christ and the Father, of course we are, but that's the means by which we experience the Father. Because the love of the Father is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. But if the, if the anointing of God is upon you, you have gifts, you have power, you have authority, you have truth. Are you using it? That's the most important thing, not have I got it, but is it flowing from me? Am I relating to God through the Spirit? Am I releasing the life of the Spirit? You know, eternal life has begun. I know we're all looking forward to it getting a lot better than this. But you can have as much as you want now. in the sense of connection with the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. And believe you me, I will sleep much better the more you do that. Seriously. Are you asking? You receive not because you ask not. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be filled. 
This comes back to the world, the flesh and the devil. What are the desires of your heart? What are the longings within you? Are the longings for the word of God, for the spirit of Christ and for the love of his people? Sometimes, some days, Lord, break me, mold me, deepen that longing within me. It comes from him in the first place. But this, this is life. This is reality. And this is not the way the world thinks or behaves. And I'm not judging people in the world. I'm just saying there's a, there's a system out there that is robbing people of this reality. But I'm afraid it's, it's robbing the church of this reality. Too much, big C. But the most important question is, are you allowing it to rob you? Because he will. We're doing a session on Sunday night. We're going to talk about the nature of the spiritual battle. Because it is so real. We ain't got time to get into all of that. How do we grow up? How do we become mature to, to both withstand the world, the flesh, and the devil, but also to exhibit the characteristics of Christ and the light of the world to which we are called? By walking in the anointing. By every member doing his or her part connected to the body as each part does its work. What is the work? Well, the work is not to labor for food that spoils, but for that which leads to eternal life. That is Jesus. Pursue him. Pursue his word. Pursue fellowship with people who are in fellowship with him. Do you know what you've been given? I lose sight of it at times. And I need a family around me to remind me of who I am. But that family needs to know me deeply, to love me, to accept me, to walk with me at times, and to uphold me in prayer. I know some of you pray. But what I'm describing for me is true of you as well. It's one of the reasons I'm passionately and repeatedly talking about our need to be in a family context, in a small community of people on mission. The mission is to bring heaven to earth. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let, let's bring the mountaintop experience into the valley where people are broken and hurting. And we have no power to change anything other than the anointing of God within us together as a people who love one another deeply and model that we're a reconciling community because we've been reconciled to God and we just can't get over the generosity of God towards us.